Hi, my name is Laura Growlick, and I'm an account executive based out of London with Havas Red US. This episode is a part of our Behind the Brand series, which pulls back the curtain on an iconic brand to focus on the people shaping that brand's communications and marketing strategy. We launched this series in April 2023 with Grania O'Brien, Senior Director of Corporate Affairs for Kellogg Europe. This month, we're going behind the scenes with another iconic brand, IBM. Our very own Linda Descano, CFA and EVP with Havas Red, is our host today, speaking with Brandy Boatner, Manager of Digital and Advocacy Communications at IBM. Take it away, Linda. Brandy Boatner. Welcome back to the Red Sky Fuel for Thought podcast. Hey, Linda. Good to be back. Thanks so much. I'm so excited that you're joining us today for our Behind the Brand series. And I thought we'd start our conversation. Tell us about what you're doing today. Oh, what I'm doing today. No, I like this segment, Linda. I think it could be called Behind the Brandy. We're talking about the brand, so behind the brandy. But what I'm doing today, so my days vary, but on most days, I am the manager of digital and advocacy communications and IBM corporate affairs, and I'm responsible for our external social influencers, the relationships that we have, and how they help us tell the AI for business story, which is a little bit different than the AI that you might use to write a love poem or book a trip to Italy. It's a little bit different in the enterprise. So I spend time, you know, navigating the relationships, helping to tell that story across a variety of social media channels. But we know that your day job doesn't just end with IBM. You have been very active in the communications industry with New York Women in Communications, with PRSA. So tell us a little bit about you know, how you are paying it forward and reaching out, particularly, I know that you get so much joy and you give so much of your time to raising other women professionals and and all PR professionals up. Absolutely. So I, I say that I am a child of, of PR of the industry, and I really am because I joined PRSSA, the Student Society, when I was in college. And it wasn't because I was like, oh, my goodness, PRSSA. I happened to see that they were having their chapter meeting and they had pizza and I was hungry. And so I just went into the room and I was like, oh, you have pizza. I don't have to worry about dinner. And they had a guest speaker and he was talking about a campaign he had executed and the press coverage it had received. And I was like, wow, this one, this pizza is good. But what this man is talking about sounds really fascinating. And so I was like, oh, PR, this might be pretty interesting. And I say that and I'm laughing about it because when I graduated from college, I started my college career as a pre-med physics major. So PR was not even on the agenda. Like I literally thought I was going to cure the world with lasers. And I wasn't really a bio person or a chemistry person. I was more of a physics person. So it just... Really, I stumbled upon. And then once I got in PRSSA and realized just, oh, my gosh, this profession is something that I want to be doing. I really grew up within the organization. I became national president, went into PRSA upon graduation. Then in PRSA, when I graduated and moved to New York, 
join the local chapter and just really have had the most incredible mentors and leaders just really give me advice and watch me grow up in the industry. And I just recently celebrated 14 years at IBM when I've grown up in this company while also, you know, kind of fostering my own professional development as a communicator. And if it wasn't for PRSA, I wouldn't be the professional that I am today. But if it wasn't for organizations like New York Women in Communications, where I've not only met like yourself and others who inspire and empower me, it's just a beautiful thing to be a part of a community of women that do what you do, that advocate for the profession, that advocate for the work that we do, that just makes you an overall better professional. So it's like, I owe so much to PRSA, to New York Women in Communication, the LeGrant Foundation. I was a LeGrant scholarship winner many years ago. When they call me an alum and they put the year and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm getting older, but not in a bad way. Getting older is a gift, but it's still like, please don't put the year that I won the scholarship. It's okay. But just looking at, again, all the organizations I'm a part of, yes, my day job is very demanding and fulfilling, but I couldn't be the professional that I am without all the other things that I do with PRSA and New York Wiki, LeGrant. I'm on the board of the Better Business Bureau of New York City. I am on the Dean's Leadership Council for the University of South Carolina, of which I did not go to. I did not go to South Carolina. People ask me that all the time. And when I'm on campus, people are like, oh, when did you graduate? And I'm like, I didn't go to school here. I, I did not go to school here. But I have an amazing relationship with the dean and I love their curriculum and to support their student because they're learning great stuff. So I'm like, yeah, I'll get behind that. But it's funny. Everyone thinks I'm an alum and I go to Gamecock football games and they're like, don't you love this season? And I'm like, I did not go to school here. <laughs> this is not my all of my fun. It's fun. I had no idea that you started out more of the physics and pre-med because I actually started out in English communications and then pivoted to geology and geophysics. And that's what I actually earned my degree and did some graduate work in, but then never lost my love of storytelling and communications, which eventually I found my way back to the industry. And I'm so with you. Organizations like PRSA and New York Women in Communications and all their similar organizations internationally are such a great learning lab for us to meet women and others that are working in our field with different backgrounds, different areas of expertise to help us look at the issues with a broader perspective and sharpen our skills. I feel like I have this knowledge, you know, library always at my fingertips. You know, if someone says, oh, I'm looking for X, I can call someone and they help me think it through. It is really a gift and just to meet people. And like you, I do some work with different undergraduate and graduate programs. I feel like I'm just sitting there learning with them and immersing myself to stay current and learn from all of these really super smart digital natives so I can help accelerate my own skills. Well, also we have in common that we both love alliteration. So you can imagine when I've heard you talk about your career in the context of the three Ds, digital, data, and diversity, my heart melted. And I thought we could really organize our conversation around them because they are so relevant to professionals in our industry. So I thought we'd start with the first D, digital. 
because this is a space that has continued to evolve, right? New platforms, new features, new functionality, new challenges in how we use them. They offer such tremendous opportunity for us to connect as individuals, for brands to connect with the people and the businesses that are important to them, but they're also can introduce some risk. And you've been in the thick of it. So would love to get your take on the landscape today. And how are you watching this space over the next year? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the landscape today is very noisy and very crowded. And like I said, I just celebrated 14 years. I love digital. And like you said, being a digital native now, I'm in the thick of it, but I've been in the thick of it before there was even an it. Like at the very beginning of when social media kind of came about and PR folks and communications professionals were like, what are we going to do? It's going to totally disrupt. And Facebook had just, when I started my career, again, 14 years ago, Facebook had just dropped the you need a college email to log in and they just introduced business pages. So this is like a long time ago where the industry was trying to figure out what do we do with a Facebook business page? Do we need to set one up? When I came into IBM, Twitter was only two years old. Nobody knew what to do with Twitter other than, oh, I'm at the gas station and I think I saw someone famous. And that's the tweet. That's where we were in 2009 going into 2010. We we're also in a recession. So digital, it was just so fascinating for me to study that from a communications and a PR standpoint, because I'm like, if my job is going to be influencing others' behavior, I need to see how these platforms are influencing others' behavior. So I really early on immersed myself in digital communication, so much so that that is what my graduate degree is in, <laughs> is in digital communications. And I remember having a very interesting conversation with my father. And he said, what do you plan on doing with this graduate degree? And I was like, well, someone's going to hire me to look at social media and to run their digital platforms. And my dad was like, Brandy, I don't know if we just spent all this money for you to be on Facebook with like your friends. Like, I don't know if that is like a viable career. And I'm like, Dad, have I ever let you down? OK, maybe I have like a few times, but have I ever like just trust me, just trust me. And I will say that my father understood it a little bit better than my mom did. My mom was just like, no, this isn't going to work at all. My dad had some hope for it. Again, it was a simpler time. But I remember, Linda, the days of the core four social media platforms, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook. That was the core four, right? Before TikTok, before Instagram, before any of these things. And so as I look back, I was like, wow, we were trying to figure out the core four. People didn't want to go on LinkedIn because they're like, you're going to think I'm looking for a job and I'm not looking for a job. It's just a job board. Facebook was everything at that time. But again, it was the business page, Facebook groups, none of this what it is today. Facebook dating and like literally everybody in my family, if there's a scandal at church, they go on Facebook. And I'm like, y'all act like people can't see that y'all are having this conversation on Facebook. I mean, so many things have changed. But when the core four was around, we as communicators were really trying to figure out the best way to leverage these platforms to do what we do. Reputation, stakeholder, that's what we were trying to figure out. I think that there were some early adopters who figured it out well. Some communicators that were like, oh, storytelling, social, a social platform. Oh, yeah, they, these two things go together. We can do this. And then there were some that were slow to just be like, I still don't know 
what is the tweet? What is the hashtag? What like what what is this? I don't understand the difference between a hash brown and a hashtag. And you want me to put something in a search? I don't know what this is. And I remember the days of earlier conferences, some of our industry conferences, where every session was about social media. Every single, every breakout session was how to deal with social, what to do, what to post, how to post, you know, understand the vocabulary, all of the things. Fast forward, like I said, 14 years I've been in this game. Now, oh my goodness, the amount of content, the amount of time we spend on the social channels, the platforms themselves have changed. We keep going back to we do with video, short form video, long form video. Wait, okay, it's long form. Nope, nope, 2024, short form. So you have to stay on top of the trends there. And then also now in this you know era of post-pandemic PR, how consumers engage and how our audiences engage change rapidly. Whether it's a milestone moment like the Super Bowl that we've seen or whatever the next milestone moment's gonna be, the behavior changes. And communicators need to understand why that is but be able to meet people where they are. And it's easy for me to say that, but it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, absolutely right. Because it's not just even meeting them where they are on the platform. It's where they are emotionally, where they are in terms of their mental space and physically from a relevant standpoint. So there's so many dimensions of that. And we're more, I think, fickle than ever because there's, as you said, so much more content And we have all these different virtual tribes that we're part of because we can be part of more communities because it is all at our fingertips. Then if we had to select to a face-to-face meeting, we could connect on issues right from across the world. So it adds so many more dimensions. It's no longer like easy demarcations of location or age or other demographic or psychographic factors. So if there was maybe just one thing in your crystal ball that you say for 2024, when it comes to social, it's the year of, is there something? Yes. YouTube shorts. 2024 is the year that YouTube shorts has their glow up. They started it in 2023, but then people were like, long form content. You need to explain things. AI, explain it. Generative AI, explain it. Short form content. Back to what you said. We are fickle. Attention spans now, it used to be the attention span of a goldfish, three seconds. Now it's like two seconds. So attention spans are getting shorter. Short form content. YouTube shorts are an excellent way to tell a story in a succinct way that your audience finds relevant and will engage with it because it's short. (laughs) It's short. So That is what the Brandy Crystal Ball is saying, 2024. Don't sleep on YouTube Shorts. We will have to come back and talk more about that. But one of the things I talk to my clients when it comes to employee communications is really because we have five generations in the workplace, many of the global companies I work with have people with maybe 50, 60, 70, 80 nationalities, speak many languages, and we come up with an ecosystem of content, short form, right? Long form video article, then it's the blurbs, and there's a digital screen, and some even do audio sound bites, not just video. It's whether their employee population has deskless workers on a factory floor, to the deskless worker who lives in their car because they're in sales, 
to fully remote, to fully on-site, to hybrid, and different languages, different generations and consumption habits, there's something for everyone because we need that portfolio of options. So it is going to be a fascinating place, but I do hear more of my clients talking about first get the short right and build from there. So we will come back. So now let's move to your second D, data, because you've spoken extensively. And I remember, I think it was the PRSA ICON conference in 2022, where you set out the charge to all communications professionals, regardless of your role, your practice area, every one of us needed to be a data scientist and be data literate. And that was foundational for storytelling. And I'd love for you to talk about this because when I first came into the agency world in a more PR leading group at that time, as a scientist, I loved numbers, I grasped numbers, I was hungry for data. And some of my colleagues would say, oh, that's someone else's job and run away. But that's not the case anymore. Set the charge out. Why does everyone have to invest and become data literate? Yes, I talk about, thank you so much for bringing that up. I talk about it and I do charge PR people because it's like, oh, I, I studied communications or journalism or PR because I don't like numbers. I don't like math. I'm not good with math. That's like always the default. And I've said, and I've given presentations where I literally say, I'm in a room full of communicators and I say, congratulations, you're a data scientist. And they're like, what is she talking about? And they think, I don't have a wear a white coat. They think of like a traditional scientist. And so then I say, okay, so you don't think you're a data scientist. Let me back up because I can come out of the gate a little hot and you're not ready for it. And that's fine. So then I say, how many people in here have ever bought anything off Amazon? And as you can imagine, everybody raises their hand because I think most people have purchased something off of Amazon. And so I say, okay, so you've purchased something, a good service delivered to you, whatever it is. Do you ever get any recommendations for other things after you have purchased something on Amazon? Most people raise their hand again. And I say, okay. So those recommendations, those suggestions, those prompts didn't just make themselves up. You did something. You purchased something <laughs> so that it could sell you so I kind of go through this idea of there's a reason you're getting the prompt based on the data that Amazon or whomever has collected on you. As a PR person, we are getting these little breadcrumbs. You could call them data if you want, because people think numbers is data. Numbers is a form of data. Sure, you can get other things besides numerical things. I said, imagine these breadcrumbs that you're leaving. And as a PR person, you got to pick up those breadcrumbs because each morsel is going to help you tell a good story. So if you miss a couple of the breadcrumbs, how are you going to tell a full story if you don't have all? It's like, oh, but I, I didn't get those breadcrumbs because the IT manager, he was supposed to get the breadcrumbs. Well, was he? Well, why are you? You're already on the path, right? Why couldn't you get the breadcrumbs? I say all that. Because PR people, you need to, you know, ground it in, in that it's not somebody else's job. And in storytelling, if you don't have all the facts, what kind of story are you telling? Or sometimes we might find ourselves writing a really good, almost Jackie Collins piece of fiction because the data doesn't tell us what we want it to. Then we just write something else. And I'm like, well, that's not ethical or the best way in PR. Or some people hold data hostage. I'm going to make it do it's going to do this. Well, the data is not. So you have to think about it in terms of 
how do I, in terms with my reputation, management, my stakeholder, your stakeholders, you also have to tell a story to them and you need data to do that. So again, while we might not be numbers people, how are you making the right decisions for your reputation, for your brand, for your client, if you don't have all the breadcrumbs, if you don't have all the data? So regardless of where you sit, what you do, communicator, you are a data scientist. What I do and my offer, my advice and counsel and resources is how to ensure you embrace your role as a data scientist. Now I'm saying that you're going to be the best data scientist. I mean, there are certifications, there are classes. You can take Google Analytics, you can do all kinds of things. But I want you to embrace. I'm going to hear, I'm going to help you embrace your role as a data scientist. Well, I love that. And as you said before, we have to meet people where they are. And we can only do that if we know who they are, where they are, and you need data. So it's really about if we all believe in people first storytelling and we are delivering the personalized experience that we know each of us expects. Absolutely. That should be the word of 2024, personalization. I see it everywhere. It is. And I think all of our expectations we expect may vary. And I think that's one of the things we found and that we've talked about in our 2024 predictions. It's no longer one size fits all. It's like dating. We may give some information when we first interact with a brand, but then we're not going to give it all away until we understand the value exchange. But if it's going to enable me to get a more relevant experience, I will get the maybe preferred or inside scoop so I can be first, I can get more than I'm willing to give if I understand the value to me. And that is around data literacy. I think it's just so incredibly important for all of us. And again, we, as you said, we don't have to be the best data scientists because there are experts but we have to understand the basics so we can have a conversation and ask the right questions to gather the data, to test the sense check the data and form a hypothesis. There's our scientific background coming so that we can make a good judgment call and really operate on information. I think today, if we talk about going beyond being storytellers to fact tellers, we need facts to tell a story. And it's more important than ever. And that's what data helps you do. There's always differences in interpretation, but we have to start with something. I agree. And also I would add that data, everyone is, you know, the conversation of the hour is artificial intelligence and generative artificial intelligence. People need to understand data is what drives those conversations. They're called large language models for a reason because they have large data sets that the capability and the technology can analyze quickly. So if you have data that's garbage that goes in, you're going to get data that's garbage that comes out. But everyone wants to talk about, oh, you know, ChatGPT does this and Dolly does that. And I'm like, great. Can you talk about the data sets that these technological capabilities and emerging technologies are pulling from? You can't talk about emerging technologies. You cannot talk about technology in the sense that we are without having a data conversation. So for every one open AI conversation or every one generative AI, there should be five data conversations to support that conversation. Well, and to your point, there's always so much talk about AI replacing jobs rather than thinking about it will help us analyze information and we could hopefully make smarter, more informed decisions. Better decisions. Right. Yeah. But mm -hmm. our skill to use the data 
to work with data really is critical to our long-term employability as communicators. Because just like everything else, it's just a way social media, it's another tool that's at our disposal, but we have to build the skills and understand how it works. And it still requires that human insight for what data goes into it, to your point, but also what comes out of it. Absolutely. It's augmenting intelligence, not replacing human intelligence. Augment. I love that. That is such a, a good phrase. Now, I want to move on to our third D, which is important to both of us, and that is diversity. Your focus on diversity, though, goes well beyond looking internally at any organization that you're part of about what companies can do to advance a culture of equity and inclusion internally. You've also been a real advocate and a thought leader in talking about how as communicators, we can also bring diversity to life in our marketing, the advertising, the communications intended for customers and others. And of course, over the past six months, it's been somewhat of a powder keg, but we also see plenty of data, including some proprietary research from the Havas Group, that many people today still value diversity and commitments to sustainability. And it's important to them to see that brands continue with those commitments. I'd love to hear from you as brands are looking at the 2024 landscape and such a focus on authenticity. What should communicators keep in mind to be, I say, inclusive by design in their communications? And how do they bring those values of diversity to life? It's easy to put a social media post up on a day of remembrance or for a month of remembrance. But what are the things that you look at when you look at a communication and ad that signals to you a brand gets it and is sincere in their commitment? I think it's a great question and obviously something I am incredibly passionate about. It is February Black History Month. So, you know, we have the months or what have you. Diversity to me, simply put, means different different. And we as communicators need to think about diversity different. The default does typically go to race and ethnicity. But to your point, I like it diversifying across interdisciplinary communications with marketing, advertising, creative. I also look at how you diversify the tactics that you use to tell a story, whether that's an email or a podcast episode or a LinkedIn audio clip. Different. What are you doing that's different? And communicators need to realize and understand while the headlines may say, there's backlash or what have you. There's so many studies and so much research that shows that different is good for business. Okay? Different when you have diverse teams, when you diversify your services and offerings, that's good business. And again, so many studies that show that. So if I know that diversity, if I take it from a different and being inclusive of all is good business, then a communicator is thinking when you see that happening, you're like, oh, somebody thought that through. They had some different opinions or different lived experiences or different differences in the room to achieve what we wanted to achieve. I think sometimes we communicators and people in general get so caught up and focused, as I said, on the race, ethnicity portion of diversity. We get focused. Obviously, equity and equality are incredibly important. But you can't achieve the equity part if other parts of your diversity wheel are broken. How are you going to reach the equity? It doesn't just happen 
you have to foster an inclusive environment to ensure that equity happens. You don't just wake up and you're like, oh, I feel like I'm going to be equitable today. That's not the that's not how it works. So again, if we as communicators keep that in mind, the different diversity means different. What different voices, what different perspectives? We all have lived experience. We all have things that we've been through. We all have expertise. We all have these things. And that's what, again, is good for business. I would also add an element that people don't always talk about when you think about diversity and the differences is culturally, and culture is not just, oh, I'm American and someone is across the pound uh, European and is different culture. I am originally from New Orleans. Mardi Gras is just about celebrating the culture in the South, very different than the culture in the North, in the Northeast, is very different than the culture in the Pacific Northwest. Different cultures. So to add to your differences in diversity is cultural competency. I talk a lot about being culturally competent, and some people don't think about cultural competency, but to really strengthen the differences and make sure that you are fostering an inclusive environment, you also need to make sure that you are being culturally competent. Now, it's such a good point. And thank you for bringing that up because I think you're right. I see it very much so in the U.S. We have a narrow view of diversity. And you're right. Certainly, there's still a lot of work that has to be done to create diversity, equity, and inclusion for Black Americans and many others. They don't want to lose sight of that. But there are so many dimensions because none of us are one thing. I grew up in a very Italian Also, we have, a, I would say, a microculture in the family. And I also grew up where some people told me I couldn't do things because of my weight or my faith. And those all influence how we process information, how we respond to an ad with people of certain body types. And now it's a woman above 60 with different ages. So you're right. We have to think from a very intersectional point of view and really push ourselves to think of all of those different elements that create a person and define who we are and that will shape all the people that we're reaching. And so how do we reflect as much of that in all of the communications that we create, the words we choose as we choose, the formats we use, and then of course the channels so we could meet people where they are. Absolutely. Very well said. Very well said. Well, it's such an important thing. And it is one that I constantly challenge myself. Am I looking at something too critical because of my age? And I'm looking at everything a little bit differently. So it is important for us to keep in mind that I really like that idea. It is about confidence and it's about building our competencies so we could bring a better experience. And that's such a great way of looking at it. Absolutely. And again, I said competence, not, you know, people are like, oh, I'm culturally aware. And I said, this is not awareness. This is <laughs> this is not aware. This is competence. Are you culturally competent to, like you said, to understand all the different ways the, the term is intersectionality, all the different intersections of how someone is identified and being competent and especially as a communicator, being competent enough to deliver a message and to tell a story that someone's like, oh, my gosh, you see me, you hear me, you understand me. That's how the messages land. And going back, like I said, from the very beginning and the point that you that you made, it's to meet the people where they are. And that's the way people feel valued. That's what builds loyalty from a customer. A loyalty from an employee is when people feel seen, valued, and heard. Right. Well, I know we could keep talking for 
hours. We go. Um, and <laughs> you have to promise me to come back. I promise. But before you do, I thought we could close our conversation as we do with all the behind the brandy segments. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we could go close with a few lightning round questions. So are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Oh, okay. So what is your superpower? What is that hard or soft skill that has helped you succeed the most in your career and has made Brandy Brandy? I would say I'm an empath. I just feel a lot of things. I have really good intuition, scary good intuition. So with that empath, I used to be afraid of it. Now I just embrace it. So I'm like the people whisperer, but I'm really good. Like I'm highly intuitive really into it <laughs> okay i know who to call now when i need some work <laughs> second what is the best piece of advice you've ever received it was really hard for me to hear this piece of advice i get asked this question often and it was hard for me to hear and receive it but it was the best piece brandy it's not all about you it was hard for me to hear that i was like what do you mean of course my career of course these decisions are about me these affect it affects me what are you talking about and he's like no sometimes it's just not about you. And that was one of my PRSA colleagues, Philip Tate, gave me that piece of advice. And I'm so grateful he did because I have learned in my career, it's not all about that time. Well, and it's great advice for you to share. So thank you for all of us. Third, what food can't you live without? Well, as I mentioned, I am from the South, so I, I cannot live without seafood. Crawfish, oysters, crabs, shrimp. I can't live without that. I have to have that. You're making me want to get on a flight today for New Orleans. <laughs> and then finally, do you have a mantra or a favorite quote that you live by? I have a lot of favorite quotes. One that I keep coming back to that I love that I just will share is the Ralph Waldo Emerson. What lies before us, what lies behind us are tiny matters to what lies within us. And it's like whether you look forward or you look back, you need to look within because None of that matters other than what lies within you so that you can make the decision whether, you know, you don't live in the past. Don't try to figure out the future. The certainty is you. Oh, Brandy, I knew this would be a wonderful conversation. And as usual, you brought so many fresh insights and perspectives. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. I do hope we will continue the conversation and maybe revisit the digital landscape as it evolves in 2025. But thank you again for joining us. And everyone, thank you for listening and have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much, Linda. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. You can subscribe to the show using your favorite podcasting app, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Please don't forget to rate and review the show to let us know how we're doing. We hope you'll join us again for more of the latest communications insights and trends from the team at Havas Red. We'll see you again soon.